We're going to finish up. So we're actually going to finish up. We have time tonight. We'll read a Christmas story. If we don't, we'll do it for another time. But it uh, kind of goes along with what we talked about, so I was going to share it with you. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about uh, actually a message or probably, uh, and I'll share a story um, with you a little bit. I actually have it later, but I want to share it a little bit with you. But um, probably I looked at a journal. I was looking at a journal last night. I don't write a lot in a journal. I've been encouraged over the years to do a journal. Uh, but I've got a journal. I've got a couple different journals. I've put several entries in. Sometimes it's a couple of years before I put anything in it, or the word. But I'll I'll start waxing philosophy, you know, and I'll just start writing stuff in it. But I found probably 10, 12 years ago, I started putting a message together called "Past the Salt." And uh, as an action, I just wrote down a piece of paper in a, in a journal, uh, "Past the Salt," and it was actually birthed out of a conversation I had with Morel Cornwell. Anybody know who that is? Mr. Home Bible Study? Well, I had the privilege in, uh, in the Lynchburg church. He came, and we were in a big church, but we seemed to have every preacher in the country was through there that you ever knew. I mean, uh, Brother Beckton's been there, and Cole, they just, we just had to be blessed to have people through there. But I was blessed to be able to spend an hour, an hour and 15 minutes in the car with Will Cornwell, take from the Air Oak Airport all the way to Lynchburg. And uh, when I do that, I typically try to let them rest, but I usually have three or four questions that's something I want to know from them, and I asked him a question on the way, and we were, <laughs> he got up and testified that night that he thanked God he even got there, because I was doing hairpin curves at 80 miles an hour down the roads in, in Virginia, but I didn't think I was that bad, but I get down, he thought I did, but uh, <clears throat> I asked him, <clears throat> I said, Brother Cornwell, I said, uh, what is your retention rate? It was 25 years ago. You remember me talking about how the Lord has kind of worked over the years. What's your retention rate? And he answered me in a profound answer, a very simple one sentence. And I didn't answer him when he said this. I just began to think about it. And that night at church, he, he kind of testified about our conversation and said, the brother never asked me what I meant. I didn't need to ask him what he meant. I knew what he meant. And so at that point, that was kind of really where the first birthing took place in me about really kind of this message and this lesson I'm going to share with you tonight that kind of ties everything together we've talked about for the last seven or eight weeks, and we'll finish that up. But uh, when I asked him a question, Brother Cornwell, what's your secret, or what is the retention rate of the people that you bring to God? He simply said to me, it depends how much salt we put in it. Hmm. Wow. And that's all we said. I think I sat quiet probably the most of the rest of the drive and just drove. Just thought about it. I thought, what a powerful statement. He's still known as Mr. Home Bible Study. In our organization, even today, he's built his church on home Bible studies. I even went last night and listened to some of his messages. He was preaching online. Still talks about home Bible studies. Still talks about personal outreach, you know, personal outreach himself. And, um, and they have home Bible study courses and the classes, and they do all kinds of stuff with home Bible studies. But I thought it was very amazing that that man would say, it depends how much salt you put in. And I've never heard a better answer in 25 years. It's absolutely 100% right. I even watched the conference, uh, Zusa Street Ministry Conference, from because of the times where they had ministers up on a platform. I don't know if you saw that or not. It was there when I had uh, Brother Keys and Brother Johns and Brother Huntley all there asking them questions about soul winning. And so it was your secret to growing a church and keeping new members. And uh, <clears throat> Brother Mangan had said during that time, and, and it was funny, none of them said what Brother Cornwell said, but Brother Mangan made a statement, and I thought it was very interesting. He says, the hardest people that we have to get going uh, to helping us uh, in the church is not new converts, it's the saints. 
it's the saints. He said, and it's a church of a couple thousand people. And um, he said, because they're so busy, they're out doing this, they're out doing that, they're with families and friends and relatives, and we can't seem to get people involved. And that's not the people that come into the church, it's the people that have been around for a while. I thought that was pretty amazing too, because the, the, I believe that the prince in power of the air uh, has um, really done work on the saints of God, meaning that I think he's tried his best to wear us down. Okay? And he doesn't do it all at once because he knows he can't, he can't do it. Um, and so what he does, he gets us in a place of uh, lackadaisalness, a place of being tired. How many of y'all, can I, I want to ask you just a real honest question. You, any guys have been, anybody, who's been in church longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay. Have you ever been with your walk with God where you just say, you know what? Man, I'm tired. Just emotionally, spiritually drained. Anybody ever been there? Okay. I don't want to ask you if you're there now, but a lot of people. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I must be sick because I don't think everything's funny. I, I'm sorry. But, uh, but it, it's not, you're not alone. Okay? It's actually the, the spirit of the world that we live in. Okay? It's the, it, it is the, the spirit of the world. The, the, the prince of power of the air has tried trying to get us to just wear down, wear ourselves down. Can I tell you once, I, I, actually, um, uh, I actually talked to a psychologist one time, and he says the number one thing that happens right before somebody gives up, um, the thing that they say is, I'm tired. I'm tired. So that's what the statement is. That's how I know they're getting ready to give up whether it be in a marriage, a job, a family, whatever that is, they're just tired. They don't have anything else to give. So it's a trick of the enemy, right, to get us in that place of being tired. The Bible says to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord, you renew your strength. <laughs> we were going to church one time in, in, a, in a really good church there in, in uh, Georgia. There wasn't many of them, but there was a couple. Um, and the pastor that preached there... <laughs> begin to teach about wait upon the Lord. Well, my whole life, most of the people I've heard talk about that, that word wait means to serve. That's not what that word means. And when I really started studying after I got through preaching, I got mad. Because my whole life I've been working myself to death because you just work, wait on the Lord, just work, serve, 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 here renew your strength. That's not what that scripture is talking about. But wait on the Lord means a time of rest. Rest, right? It's a time of rest. A time of to regenerate and rejuvenate. And I was mad after I heard that, brother. I'm like, man, I've been in church all these years. I've been too stupid to go look for that for myself. And so I changed that a little bit. So, but I want to share some things with you. So we're going to give you a little bit of brief history of salt. Um, some really cool things you're going to find. You can find this history. Time put it out here. Actually, many, many years ago, back in 1982. But it's on the internet. You can find it. It's just called Time Magazine, I think. Put out a brief history of salt. Um, the history of the world, according to salt, is simple. Uh, animals were passed to salt licks. Men followed trails, became roads, and settlements grew up beside them. When the human, me uh, human menu shifted from salt-rich game to cereals, more salt was needed to supplement the diet. But the underground deposits were beyond reach, and salt sprinkled over the surface was insufficient. Scarcity kept the minerals precious. As civilization spread, salt became one of the world's principal trading commodities. It was very precious. Um, salt routes crisscrossed the globe. One of the most traveled led from Morocco across the uh, south, Morocco south across the Sahara to Timbuktu. There really is a Timbuktu. 
Um, ships bearing salt from Egypt to Greece traversed the Mediterranean uh, and Agion. Uh, in, in 1295, when he first returned from Cathay, Marco Polo delighted the Dodge with tales of prodigious value of salt coins bearing the seal of the great Khan. <clears throat> as early as the 6th century in the sub-Sahara, Moorish merchants returnly, routinely traded salt ounce for ounce for gold. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, in Abyssinia, slabs of rock salt called amales became coin of the realm. Each one was about 10 inches long and 2 inches thick. Cakes of salt were also used as money in other areas of Central Africa. Not only did salt serve to flavor and preserve food, it made good antiseptic, which is why the Roman word for those uh, crystals, or sal or sal, is a first cousin of salus, the goddess of health. A soldier's pay in those times considering, uh, was consisting in partly of salt. came to be known as salarium agentum, from which we derive the word salary. A soldier's salary was cut if he was not worth his salt. Thus, not worth his weight in salt. His salary was cut. A phrase that came uh, into being because the Greeks and Romans often bought slaves with salt. <coughs> with all thine offerings, uh, thou shalt offer salt, says Leviticus 2 and 13. Because it's used as a preservative, salt became a token of permanence of the Jews of the Old Testament. To use in Hebrew sacrifices as a meat, as a meat purifier, came to signify the eternal covenant between God and Israel. In the Christian catechism, salt is a metaphor for the grace and wisdom of Christ. When Matthew says, ye are the salt of the earth, he is addressing the blessed, the worthy sheep of the flock, not the erring goats. This is a prerequisite of where I'm going, so now you're part of my message, just to your history. During the Middle Ages, the ancient sanctity of salt slipped towards superstition. Uh, the spilling of salt was considered obnious, a potent of doom. As a, uh, as a matter of fact, and I didn't, I didn't believe this. I actually had to look it up last night when I was reading some of this. And Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper. Anybody ever seen a picture of that? Many of those are done by Leonardo da Vinci. Did you know that in that picture in there, that when Judas is sitting there to the right hand of Jesus, that's a picture, and you can always tell who Judas is. He's got that skull on his face. In front of him is a spilled salt shaker that Leonardo had painted into there as a sign of omnius, right, of, of, uh, the, the, of, of almost like a, a curse, that Judas was cursed. But I actually had to look at, blow it up, look at it, actually a spilled salt shaker right in front of Judas. Never knew that. thought that was really, really cool. So, um, <clears throat> uh, so Judas is known with Joan with an overturned salt shaker in front of him. After spilling salt, the spiller had to cast a pinch of salt over his left shoulder because the left side thought, uh, was thought, or I'm sorry, his left shoulder was thought to be sinister a place where evil spirits tend to congregate. Uh, the social symbolism of salt was painfully evident in the medieval equivalents uh, of the Amy Vanderbilt. Um, complete Book of Etiquette. This is Amy Vanderbilt's Complete Book of Etiquette. As late as the 18th century, the rank of guests at a banquet was gauged where they sat in relation to an often elaborate silver salt shaker on the table. The host distinguished the guests who sat at the head of the table above the salt People who sat below the salt, furthest from the host, were of little consequence. Isn't that amazing? Salt taxes variously solidified or helped dissolve the power of governments. For centuries, the French people were forced to buy all their salt from the real world depot. The, the gabelle, or salt tax, was so high during the reign of Louis XIV, 10, 15, 16, that it became a major grievance and evidently helped ignite the French Revolution as late as 1930. And in protest against the high British tax on the salt of India, 
Gandhi led a mass pilgrimage, and I heard this for years, and I looked it up, a mass pilgrimage of the followers to the seaside to make their own salt. It was a salt sit-in, basically. Um, the importance of food to a society can be measured by the allusions to their language and literature. The, the significance of salt is virtually unrivaled anywhere. Nearly four pages of the Oxford English Dictionary are taken by up references to salt more than any other food. Um, say a grain of salt may be a recipe for skepticism, but there only can be no doubt about how much salt has seasoned the history of our lives. I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, the Bible talks a lot about salt, actually. There's probably a good about salt in there. If you read um, the scripture tonight, we're going to use, that's funny, I didn't write the actual, I think it was Matthew 13, but I wrote the scriptures down without the, what book it came out of. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is there thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. If ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> I believe with all of my heart, if there's any ingredient missing in our world that comes from the church, it is salt. It is salt. And I always use the word many times, things of value, that I think our role in a part is to add value to people's lives. What I'm saying there, I believe our role is to add salt to people. Amen? That which God has put in us is to add value and salt to people's lives. I had a friend, or a friend, she actually was my caretaker or babysitter, whatever you want to call her when I was a young man. My mom worked. I spent a lot of time at her house. She lived four or five miles down the road from where we live, and my mom would drop her off. Her name was Dot Lazier. And uh, never forget her as long as I lived. And I was a young fellow when she used to watch uh, my, my brother and my sister and myself, my two sisters. Um, she added salt to everyone she met. Everyone she met, she added salt. My wife had the privilege of meeting her before she died, right after we were first married. She passed away. But you could go down that woman's house at any given time of the day, and there was somebody in her house. Uh, I had a story one time of my, my dad, when I, before I was way before I was born, they had a little, little shed out back. It was about a, a 10 by 15 shed. And she told me one day, and every kid, every boy in the country, they got run around late at night. They just go to Dot's house, and then the shed, they all sleep up on that shed and spend the night there on, on the weekends. She said she count out one day 15 boys walking out of 10 by 15 shed one, one morning. But she, when they got there, she would fix them all breakfast the next morning. They all come. She was, was a place in that community, in that country, that everybody just automatically fell at home when they walked in. She was what they people saw. She was what people would call, she was the salt of the earth. She was a people that gave and gave and gave of herself. She continually did that. One of my jobs when I was there, by the corner, was she would send me up on a hill. There's a turnip patch up on a hill, maybe a while, three quarters of a mile, a mile away from the house. And I would walk up and pick turnips. So I'd go up there and pick a thing, a turnip, bag of turnips, bring it down to her. But when I did, what I, one of the things I always did, I don't even eat turnips today, by the way. Don't ever cook me turnips, I won't eat them. <laughs> but to me, raw turnips were better than cooked turnips like that. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of food growing up. So anytime you had food like that out in the garden you'd get, man, we just rubbed the dirt off of it and ate it, man. We just, it was just there, right? It was nature's, uh, as nature's apples, whatever. But, so, but I, would, I would always grab a salt shaker off her counter. Because, you know, turnip without anything, uh, like I said, I haven't eaten a turnip in 30 years, I bet. Maybe, maybe since I was back in that turnip field. I don't remember eating one since then. But I remember sitting and eating turnip after turnip and adding salt to that turnip, and how good that tasted to me when I added salt to it. 
Because salt has this way of making everything just a little bit better. They actually consider it cooking, but the cashew will know they call it one of the mother spices, salt and pepper. If you do a recipe in a, um, in a cookbook, I used to work for a chef, when we used to use a cookbook, there's a little saying right there, if you've ever done it, it says TT. Anybody know what that means? When it says the salt, it'll say salt, TT. That means to taste. You salt it to taste. There was no actual recipe for it. You just salt that ingredient, and you get, that's how I got the size I am. I kept salt it, taste it. Salt it, taste it. Salt, I didn't, it wasn't good. Salt it, taste it. You salt it to taste. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I feel, and I feel like God is calling us. The reason I'm sharing this with you is that I just felt like I need to start sharing this kind of stuff that God has given me to the church. Because I feel like it all comes together when we're out reaching what's happening as we wind up this world and what we're winding up, what God wants us to do as a church. And believe me, God has a plan. He always has a plan. But I believe it's time for the saints of God to do what we were called to do and to begin to add value to people's lives and to add salt, add flavor. Amen? The salt that we bring to this world is that which God has put into each one of us. Without it, we are worthless. Do you hear what I said? Without salt, we are worthless. Think about that statement. You might not agree with it. But you read a scripture... But I just read you, and you begin to study it. Without salt, we are good for nothing. The Scripture says that. We are good for nothing. We are dead, and we are tasteless. We are tasteless. <clears throat> Do you know that the world is looking for today? It's not looking for religion. We've had enough of it. They really aren't. i got to tell you, people are not looking for religion today. They are, they are wanting someone to add value, something of value to their life. Amen? Now, this is a precinct message, so I'm really slowing down to teach it. Okay? But I have it. I got a 2009 was the last time I preached this message. <clears throat> but they're looking for something of value. They are tired of the business of Christianity. They are tired of religion. And they are tired of people going to church on Sunday, singing a choir, preaching a pulpit, and then go out and live a godless life during the week. Can I tell you something? They're tired of it. They're looking for something real, something of value, something that will add flavor, right? Because the world is becoming more and more tasteless to people, right? Have you ever overindulged in something so much that you didn't even want to look at it for a while? Who's laughing? <laughs> That's what's happening to our world today. They're indulging, 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 but cannot seem to get satisfied. <clears throat> they, they say the church in America has become a business. And I'll just play this statement out there, and I won't be offensive, but it says, my thought is, if the church is the body of Christ, and it is now has become a business, then are we in danger of becoming the harlot church the scripture talks about? There's only one profession that sells its body. Is that all right? Now, I, ha I will share with you, I have been accused sometimes when, because I, I believe in organization, I believe in putting things together, of being a business. But I will tell you that everything that I do when it comes to try to make things better and organize and get people set up for ministry, it's, I got it from the Scripture. God did this stuff before man ever got a hold of it. 
I heard John Maxwell say the other night, I was listening to some of his stuff, and I was really amazed by what he said. Um, he had the Bishop T.J. T.D. Jakes. He was speaking at his church back in May. And T.J. Jakes got a hold of him and started praying for him. Well, Maxwell had his hands raised. I thought he was going to speak in tongues. But he was, pray- he was praying. He, w- he was. He was praying. And I thought, wow. And, and he, said to him, he said to the audience, he says, everything, I don't share this with the secular all the time. He says, but everything I've got on leadership came from the greatest leader the world has ever known. Everything. My dad, he, my dad ministered. When we go to his churches. He would teach me this stuff based on biblical principles, and I've used it my whole life. And I knew that. A lot of people don't know that. But I don't want to sell that which people before me, and let me slow down and say this again. I don't want to sell that which people before me have paved the way for and gave their lives to build. I want to see the church grow deeper and get more powerful, and I don't believe that the best days are behind us. Okay, now that's a little weak, and I'll tell you why. Because many of us believe that the best has already happened, and we're just sitting around waiting for God to come back. I've got to tell you, because I've been there, done that. <sighs> I got nothing left, God, hurry up and get here. <laughs> it's been a long 35 years, I've got to tell you. Okay, I've been there, I know. So, but it's because that's the, that is the trick of the enemy to get us to that place. I'm just tired right before you give up. Amen? And that's why we see, that's why, it's, that's why I'm sharing this with you tonight, the saints of God. Because the saints of God are the ones who are going to have to rise up, right, and find a way to pull ourselves and realize what God is doing for us, with us. If salt is left unused, what happens to it, ladies? Brother Cash, anybody? Who, what happens when salt left unused? Yeah, that's right. What happens to, what else happens to it? It's hard, right? So when it gets hard, it begins to lose flavor. Why does it get hard? It pulls the moisture. Can I tell you something? If I'm the salt, God has put salt in me. And my salt has gotten hard. Maybe I am absorbing too much of this world. it will begin to gather all kinds of other flavors. Right? It will gather other flavors around it. It will become useless, and what do you have to do with it? If you're a real cook, you throw it away. If you're an old-timer, you just keep using it. You wonder why stuff don't taste good. But think about the church. How many of us are just going through the motions? I don't know. I'm just asking a question. Are we doing it out of, because out of obligation? Are we doing what we do because we love God and we really believe that we have something to offer? <sighs> Lot's wife had absorbed too much of this world and her salt had become hard. My wife and I had this discussion because we're going back and forth on it and I got to thinking about it. Is she a bad woman? I don't believe so. I believe she just absorbed too much of the world, and God realized, the scripture says, she became good for nothing. And she was turned into a pillar of salt. <clears throat> if we are not careful, we will absorb the things of this world, and we will get hard, and we will get tasteless. We will get hard, 
and then we get tasteless. The scripture tells us in Luke 14 and 34, salt is good. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the dunghill, but men cast it out. And that, and he that hath ears, let him hear. It's cast out. It's no good. One of the fears I have, um, not personally, but for the church, uh, we've always went to a UPC church or uh, always affiliated with the UPC, and it doesn't mean that I don't feel like you have to as long as we're preaching the truth, but I always felt like <clears throat> the UPC on its best days with grace organization on the face there. I really believe that. I mean, it's, it's a good organization. <laughs> but um, if we don't get our act together and we don't start producing what God has tended to produce, don't think that God doesn't have another way to make it happen. We don't have a corner on the market. We don't have a corner in the market. <clears throat> I believe Jesus was shouting this verse, this shouting the, the, this verse of Scripture. You got to listen to what He says. You have to listen to what He says. Amen. If we continue as a as a body, and I mean the church as a whole, to go about our daily lives and really kind of like in trances or zombies, and look at uh, look at it with no faith or ho hum and not with passion. We will lose our families, we will lose our faith, and we will lose our souls. And we will get there without even realizing how it happened, if we lose our soul. We'll get there, and we'll wake up one day and wonder, how did this happen? How did it happen? Knowing truth is not good enough. It's not good enough, folks. I think it's the main ingredient but it's not good enough. Salt is also preservative. If we don't preserve that which God has given us, it will rot and it will decay and eventually it won't even be recognized for what it used to be. Amen? We need to give our salt out to everyone who will receive it. We need, as a people, to begin to consciously start adding value to people's lives. And you hear me say that Quite a bit. I'll say consciously. Because I think that sometimes we just go about our business. We get really busy, right? But we don't really consciously try to add value and salt to people. I think that God wants us to consciously begin to do it. When the opportunity arises or you've got somebody ask you to pray, pray. Pray. But the, uh, Morel Cornwell was telling a story I was listening to. And he said that um, one of his... One of his Lay folks said somebody in the hospital was, she was in a coma. In a coma for a good while. And her family has two kids and her husband standing around. He walked by. If you, guys, if you guys knew a preacher, a real preacher, he'd come to lay hands on that woman. She'd come back to life. The coroner said, man, I'll, I'm going to smack that guy. Always running his mouth. <laughs> he said, so the people says, do you know somebody like that? He said, yeah, my pastor. Come. So the coma was like, you know what? Of all the things he could have told, said. So he, so he went to the hospital. And Brother Cornwell went in there and laid, laid hands on him. The husband kind of leaned down on the bed like, pray for me. The kids all leaned down. The people in the hospital in the waiting room heard him. They all went out there, and he's laid hands on everybody in the waiting room. And he's like, they just, well, I want a prayer. They were in a, in a, in a serious situation. You know, everybody there was different families and stuff. But he said the next day, they got a call. This lady had waken up out of this coma. 
But sometimes we think, and, and I don't know if I'm getting across to you, sometimes we think that it has to be a Morel Cornwell or a licensed minister or somebody who's got it all together. God doesn't expect us to have it all together. Peter didn't have it all together. And he spent three and a half years with God. My Lord, and the first chance he got, he cursed and turned his back, walked away. I'm like, man, Peter, thank you for doing that, because anything I do after that, I'll just get gravy, man. I, you know, I can get forgiven. I feel like if I spent three and a half years with God, I could walk, uh, I could walk on air. So, you know what, we get, our, we get down too much. We get caught up in the things, and we get down on ourselves, and, and the devil begins to talk to us saying, you, you don't have what it takes. You don't, you, don't, you don't have this. You don't have All he needs is faith. It's a little bit of faith. If faith is grain of mustard seed, say this mountain be moved, and it shall be moved. He didn't say, hey, you know, if you're, a, uh, you're not a Pentecostal preacher, and you've been in there for 25 years, and, you know, you're ordained, and, you know, you do this, and you do that. You, know, you can do that. It never says that. Why do we think that? Because we've been conditioned to think. We've been conditioned. It's not true. The way we're going to move our world and add value is from the pew. It's from the pew. Amen. And when we realize that our value, you watch what begins to happen. You watch what happens. When people begin to use their faith and begin to use their salt of what God has given them. <clears throat> if we don't add flavor to this world, who will? If not now, when? Teachers, ushers, hostesses, musicians, outreach. Can I share something with you and just ask you this question? I'm going to get down to where we live now, okay? Thank you. I was waiting for somebody. I'm glad it was a pastor. <clears throat> what is it that God has put in you that God wants you to use? Nothing. <laughs> Not true. Not true. See, people don't believe this when I tell them this, but everybody, I mean, I could point to you and tell you that every single person, under the sound of my voice, that God has put something in you, a ministry, some way to touch people and reach out. He's done it for you. It's in you. The salt is already there. It's true. What are we waiting for? <clears throat> so what has he put in you? What's that old status that use it or lose it? Use your salt or you'll lose it. Use it or lose it. I don't care. Once you get the Holy Ghost, once God has touched you, you've been through salvation, from that point on, there is a calling in your life. Scripture says, I knew before you're, well, you're still in your mother's womb before you're ever born, I'd be called. Didn't say if you're called if you held a license. Mine's in the closet. Years ago. Thought about getting rid of it, but I was kind of sacrilegious to do that. <laughs> it's still in her frame, so I got it up in the closet, and I got all my other stuff hanging on the wall, and I got that up in the closet. Not that I think there's anything wrong. Can I ask you a question tonight? Is it possible that God has put things in us that has not yet been birthed? <laughs> I 
and I am messing up, by the way, about three really good Sunday messages here. So if I ever hear me preach it, just pretend like you never heard it before. Because I'm telling you, I am, I'm giving you stuff that I have just, okay? And, it's, and I'm just sharing it with you, okay? <clears throat> but thoughts that God has put in my mind, I wrote down, he's put them over years and years and years of thinking through this stuff. And I wrote this down in my journal. I found this last night, and I, and I thought I've got to put this in here. <clears throat> Remember me telling you in the very beginning that God does not give us anything that was not intended to what? It's gross. Somebody was listening. So, is it possible there's something in us that God has put in every one of us that hasn't been birthed? I got a theory, brother. What happens if it is conceived? What happens after it's conceived and not birthed? What happens? Can somebody tell me, any men in here have families that have wives that have been, ever been pregnant? What happens after about nine months and one week? Excuse me, Brother Cash? It's got to be birthed. Why? Because what happens? It hurts the whole family. Because mama wants to get that thing in her that was conceived. She wants to get it out of there. Shoot across the room. Whatever you got to do, just get it out of here. Okay? It's got to go. It's time to be birthed. She is not easy to live with. She's a little cranky, okay? Yeah. Got this 8-pound, 6-pound, 10-pound, whatever it is, stuck in her. Can I, can I relate that a little bit to what God has done for us? From the time that you have received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name, something was conceived in your life. Through your prayer and walk with God, things have been conceived. I don't know what they are. Only you know what they are. What's going to happen if those things that were conceived in you aren't birthed? You know why I think some of the most troublesome people in the church are people who been around a long time? For the corner. You know why? Because we're frustrated. In pain. Because that which God has put in them hasn't been birthed yet. And when it's not birthed, they get nasty. And they get ugly, right? And a lot of times, they don't even realize why. Been in the church for years and years and years. Sometimes they're in the way, sometimes they're in the way. But it becomes uncomfortable. The church, the God has put things in the church that need to be birthed. They've been conceived, not necessarily birthed. And when you say about revival, Brother Easter's coming, I have no idea what's going to pray. No idea. But I feel like the foundation that we've laid for the last seven or eight weeks is Brother Easter's going to flow right along with whatever's going on. We're going to see some things happen because God's getting us ready to want to have revival. Amen? And it starts with the people of God. When we get beyond the birth, which he has given us, and revival takes place in us, guess what happens? It begins to take place in everything around us. What we have to realize is God has a plan. He wants to birth that in you which was conceived. <clears throat> Remember when I asked you at the very beginning, what is it that... God has put in you. Remember in the very beginning, it was the first or second time I was up here. I asked you, what's God put in you? Because just as sure as God made little green apples, he's put something in your life. 
Now, you may be sitting on it, not telling anybody about it, frustrated because you don't know how to how to get it out. But the world's screaming, somebody, please pass the salt. Somebody give me something of value. If you say you have something, for God's sake, somebody, please pass it along. Hmm. Will it be this church? Will it be you? Will it be me? If not us, who? If not now, when? When? Just one. You know, that's powerful in what you're saying. Um, I, a revelation came to me about the talents. And, you know, I, it would always baffle me about the one that held on to that one talent that God had given to him. And when God had came back and he was very upset that he was giving him back what he had received. And so what your message is saying to me with this revelation that, I, that came to me was that when God gives you something and you sit on it, and you want to just hold on to it. You're one. You're getting. You're getting fat. You know, it, it's staying in. And God is not pleased with that. He's not pleased because you're not allowing it to produce. You're not allowing it to grow because what He put in you, it is intended for to be to grow. What's the very first thing I told you about when God puts up? God never gave us anything that was not intended to what? Nothing. Now, you can't name me one thing that God's ever given us that it was not intended to grow. And that's including the church of God. That's including our personal lives. You're going to grow one way or another. You're going to grow, you're going to go. God has a way of getting your attention. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. You might say, well, Brother Al, I don't have the passion. I don't have the fire. We better find someone around us that's got the fire and get around them. We better find a way to ignite the fuel that is inside of us. It's the only way it's going to happen. Where's arms? Where's hands? The only thing he can't do is physically go walk into it. He can't put hand, he can't put hands and feet to that which he's given us. We've got to be his hands and we've got to be his feet. <clears throat> and this is and I think more and more as I get older, what I realize about ministry, and we didn't talk about it enough as a young man, it was always the flash of the pulpit, right? Always the great orators, the people that preach. Can I tell you what? That's a very small part. A very small Now, God hasn't shown me anything else over the years. He has showed me that that is a very small part of what actually makes that church what it is. It's the people that are sitting out in the pew. That's what makes the church the church. And can I, can I, can I, can I, now, can I lay something back on the church and the leadership? It's absolutely the church's responsibility. And there I said there was two things that I felt that we needed to do. Two things. Only two things are really called to do of God. One is win the lost. Remember, remember the second one? Perfect the saints. The leadership in a church is supposed to be here to help you find your ministry and then help you grow in your ministry and help you be effective in your ministry. It's not the church's responsibility to create your ministry. Only you can know what that is in you. 
You remember when I asked you, how do you know what the will of God is in your life and what your ministry is? Anyone here? It's what you go to bed at night thinking about. It's what you get up in the morning and go to work and think about. It's because God begins, first of all, he, he gives it to us in prayer. We're asking God, God, I want to do something for you. I want to be a great preacher, a great evangelist. And the Lord said, you know what? Mr. Toll said, the church needs to be scribe. I cleaned the church for the first two years of our marriage. I did it. They got tired of the way I did it, so I got somebody else. But I did it for two years. 19-year-old 19 19-year-old kid. Because I realized the greatest times that God has spoken to me was when I was running that back and cleaning it. Ooh, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And the Holy Ghost began to fall upon me and speak to my heart and my mind when I was in service. Not just in service listening but never doing anything but in action in action god began to build things and give me things and put things inside of me i would remember going to the pastor's house and men would come over great man i got bible and i got a, i had this other night i showed up at the corner of my my room my man cave and i've got stuff all the well i didn't show them i can't because that's in a box somewhere i've got a baseball some great signatures on this baseball brother ward and i and and so the I thought, you know what, I'm going to get some great people's names on this baseball. I've got the N.A. Urshan name autographed on that baseball. And when Brother Kleinus took it to headquarters, I said, hey, would you throw this baseball in your suitcase and see if Brother Urshan will sign it while you're up there? He said, I said, what did he say? He said, man, you think he was a major leaguer? He took that thing, signed that. He was so happy to get that. Brother C.M. Beckman's name's on that baseball. Great man of the faith. You I sat around just listen. You don't have to say anything. Hey, brother, I need something to drink. I got it for you, brother. Brother Tecumarian. Brother Tecumarian sat in Brother Kleinus' house. You know what I, I did? Brother Tecumarian was in, our, in Brother Kleinus' home and our children. And one thing about our pastor, he stayed up all night and slept all day. <clears throat> but he'd sleep up. We'd come at 6 o'clock. The sun's coming. My wife's going home. I said, honey, you can stay as long as you want. sun be coming up on the way home. I got to work the next day. But I knew if I wanted to get it, Brother Ward... Brother Tecumarium had her children, and Brother Kleinz was children, his babies at that time. Set him in a corner of his house, at Brother Kleinz's house. Begin to tell stories of God. <laughs> oh, God. If I just get a little bit of that, give me some. So I didn't worship those men, but I knew they had something from God. They got something from God, and I wanted a piece of it. I wanted to know, and I asked questions. I remember one time a guy came, was... Freddie Clark. Some of you guys may have heard of Freddie Clark. <laughs> He's a character. All right, well, anyway, this is Freddie Clark's protege. They've been teaching him how to work in the gifts, and Freddie Clark could, Freddie Clark could read your mail, man. He could read your mail. His son said he's seen him sit there at a waitress one time for 30 minutes, tell that waitress her whole life story, and she just sat there and weeped. Stood there and just weeped. You do it. He's a little crazy on some other things, but really, really worked in the gifts. But anyway, his protege was at church, and I began to ask him about the rhema. I was a young man. The reign of God, the word of God. I want, to, I want to get how he operated, right? I understood the gifts are caught, they're not taught. And so uh, I began to question him, and I think he took a little offense to it. <clears throat> and so we had a healing service his last night there. Well, I had, I had damage, well, my ears were damaged. When you, you know, when you're younger, the parents talk about boxing ears. I got that done a lot when I was a kid. So I'm one of my ears, I always had ear infections and stuff growing up. And, just, 
here, so I went and got prayed for. <laughs> so the guy he prayed for me. He said, you feel anything? I said, nope. God healed. God healed you? Nope. So he prayed for me again. What do you feel? Nothing. And he stopped. He said, you know, Doc, you're going to be the hardest guy I have to pray for today. He realized that the spirit of what I wanted to know I was asking wasn't out of because I was trying to downplay what he knew. It's because I wanted to get a hold of God. I wanted to get a hold of the salt that he had. And if I could help somebody with it, I wanted to do so. Pray for me the third time. I had a warmth come down and my ears immediately cleared up. To this day, I've never had, a, I've never had that happen to me. The ears are cleared since then. I still have some hearing loss, but I've never had that infection ever happen to me again. The third time he said it, I said, I feel my ears are cleared. I feel God has healed me, and he did from that day forward. It was because God, my faith, I knew, I knew, I knew by the corner that God could heal me. I knew he would. I didn't doubt that. Now I had to get hold of it. I had to get a hold of it. I want to understand. <clears throat> you know, I'll tell you something at the church. I did not sign up for this thing to be defeated or belong to a defeated organization. Amen. I did not ever sign up for this. I was a 16-year-old snot-nosed brat coming in. I, I, man, I got, God got a hold of me. When I walked through them back doors, my spirit, I tell this very seldom, but my spirit at 16 years old, I walked in there and my spirit jumped inside of me and said, this is it. And I sat there for only a few months, just a few months. But it said, this is it. This is what you, I was on the streets of San Jose, California. And I said to God, if there really is a God in my life, then please do something. Because I was on the edge. I knew I was on the edge. And Sister Cole came back one night to me. Sister Helen Cole came back to me one night. Rose back and I was standing back there. And I, my mom said, all I want you to do is come one service a week. Just come to one service. I remember that night, she said she thought it would be the hardest kid in the family to get to good church. I said, hey mom, can I go to church with you tonight? She's like, uh, yeah. She got that kid. Sister Cole came back. She said, if nobody's ever met Sister Helen Cole, she's dead now. This woman could sell Eskimos or popsicles to the Eskimos. She was phenomenal. Get her and Sister Gazowski. She said energy and passion and her love for life was contagious, Sister Helen Cole. Sister Mary Cole had died before I came along. She came back and said, son. She said, I think she said, sweetheart, do you have the Holy Ghost? And I was going to say, I brought out said, no, ma'am. She said, well, let's go get it. It wasn't just but a couple minutes. God speaking in other tongues on the altar there. But I wanted, you know why? And I will tell you this. It was not to me. It wasn't a fad. I wasn't caught up in emotion. My spirit told me, boy, this is what you've been looking for. And today, I still believe this is what people are looking for. Amen. This is it. And if you don't believe this is it, go somewhere where you believe it is it. But I believe this is it. Amen. getting away. <clears throat> Is it work to be the salt of the earth? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to start by adding salt to our brothers and our sisters' lives every day. The Bible says a threefold, threefold cord is not easily broken. And it will tell that unity is the number one ingredient. Besides salt, unity in a church is the number one ingredient. You will determine whether a church grows or whether it dies. I'm telling you, I'm 100% right. 
<sighs> there's brothers and sisters, and I don't know anything. I, don't, I, just, I just feel this, okay? There are brothers and sisters around us that are on their last leg. They have come to the end of the rope, and they've tied a knot, and they're holding on. You know what I say about that? When you come to the end of yourself, ooh, that's where God's wanting us to get to. Now you've come to the beginning of God. Because as long as we can do it, he will allow us to do it. But when you finally say, God, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. I'm ready to move on. God said, whoa, I've been waiting for that. Here's your miracle. Amen. Here's your miracle. <laughs> Mark 9 and 50 says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and peace with one another. Those of us that are strong need to pick up them that are weak and carry them for a while. David, is an interesting scripture that David, after he had um, gone out to Amakites, they had taken his family, doing all, he, was, he was pursuing them. The Lord says, pursue. Some of his men became weary and they, they stayed back. But when they won the battle, some of the men said, hey, we don't want to share with those who wasn't part of the battle. David said, oh, no, 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 no. They're part of us. And they're going to share in the spoils just like we have. They're part of us and they're going to help them. They're going to share in the spoils. Amen? Because someday, God forbid, you'll be in that place where you'll get weary, you'll get tired, and you'll need somebody to carry you for a while. Amen? And walk along and help you during that rocky road. Amen? Been there plenty of times. Can I tell you something tonight? I got a whole other page. Uh, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is people. I am so tired of it. And, it, and I haven't seen it here, but I'm just going to share it because I don't know what's coming. I can only give you what God's given me, okay? I'm tired of the schisms in the body. It makes me want to vomit. And I haven't seen that here. But I'm just telling you what I'm, what I, what I'm maybe it's preventive maintenance or preventive, I don't know. The devil will never defeat us from the outside. His only hope is to destroy little by little from the inside. It never happens all at once. It's just a little bit. To get brother to fight against brother, sister against brother, we need to stop using our salt to rub it in the wounds of our brethren and use our salt to help them. Amen. To add value and flavor to their lives. The spirit of division has gotten stronger in the ranks of our churches. We are the only organization in the world. Can I tell you this? God put this in my mind many, many years ago. Do you realize we are the only organization or species in the world that kills our wounded? Other, other animal kingdom doesn't do that. We kill our wounded. Can I tell you something? I know you already know this, but can I share something with you? The people in this room, they aren't my black brothers. They aren't my white brothers. They're not my Spanish sisters or my white sisters. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. And if you, God forbid, we ever, 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 no matter what anybody says, ever allow that to come in, in our church. Don't ever. You, if, you hear, if you hear somebody, you need to stop them dead in their tracks. We don't want to hear that mess here. Amen. It always be good to say, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't allow it. When we become truly unified, our salt will flow unhindered in this world and in our community. 
Deliverance will take place. Healings will be abundant. Miracles will be commonplace. Gifts of the Spirit will flow more freely. The body will grow to be a dominant force it was supposed to be. It does not matter our size. It does. We're two or three. That's the only thing the Scripture tells. Two or three. You are powerful. God is in the midst of you. Amen. The most, the most successful, the body will grow and be dominant force it's supposed to be. The, the most successful group in the world, marketing in the world, is the devil. Do you realize he has done nothing different for 2,000 years? It's been the same trick, same marketing program, over flesh of the flesh, those of the eyes of pride of life. That's his marketing plan, folks. When are we going to get over and say, whoops, tripped up again. Whoops, he got me again. Hello, same marketing plan. It's like Target out there saying, hey, we got this thing for 99 cents. Walked in, two minutes after the ad comes out, oh, we're out. What are we going to learn? Don't go to Target anymore. I shared that because my wife got frustrated. Amen. Let's use the wisdom that God intended us to have and be wise. God intended the people of God to be wise. Amen. And know who your enemy is. Understand what's going on around us. Don't listen to everything, every wind of doctrine that flows through and every message you hear on the radio. Don't on TV and everybody else you listen to. Don't, don't believe it. Don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Mama told me that one. I didn't get that out of Scripture. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Wow. The world is starving. Feed off the same message, but packaged differently for 2,000 years. It is looking for someone to add salt to the lies. Will be you? Don't look up here by the corner. It's looking at that mirror I talked about. Will be us. Can I tell you something? I said it before, I'm going to say it again. You don't have to be perfect, folks. Amen, Brother Allen. See, the Bible says your heart, how does it say your heart is, is, is deceitfully wicked? Who can know it? <clears throat> What's that mean? I'll tell you something. Man, I'm, I'm tired, but I've I got I to share this, okay? I'm preaching everything I know now, okay? So, brother, Lord, if you prayed this week and maybe you fasted today, right? You didn't sow no wordy dirds or anything like that. You're a good guy, man. You come to church, woo, man, I feel God. And I can pray, I can feel, man, God's going to use me. His heart says, woo, you're good. God can use you. Doing really well there. Woo, keep at it. All's well. and we stumble and make a mistake. You dirty egg-sucking dog. You ain't worth nothing. God hates you. Man, how many times are you going to fall for you used to stay on down there? What's wrong with you? We come to church head down. Been in church for 30 years. But now today, I'm just a dirty old dog and God can't use me because I slipped today because I'm a sinner saved by grace. I didn't get to walk with God for three and a half years. But I'm a sinner anyway. God probably hates me. I've been in this thing for 27 years. I should know better. Maybe it's true. It does not matter the love of God. Get up. Lord, God help me. I know I'm a sinner. Lord, you're going to have to help me. Go on and do that which God has called you to do.
go then. They are young at the top of the lungs. Someone please pass the salt. They have overindulged in everything in the world, and they are sick. My challenge to you tonight is this. <laughs> the other corner comes. Let's stand. Let's stand. Get you on your feet. All right. Here's my challenge to you tonight. I just want you to go home with this thought. Okay? If I forget half of what I said. If you remember the last line, okay, I'm going to give you. I want you to ask yourself tonight, will you be one who delivers the salt? Or will your salt be trodden upon by man? No good for anyone. No good for nothing. I ask you that question tonight. Let's put our hands together and worship the Lord. Brother Corner Cops.